Let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll read the word of the Lord. Verses 4 through 7, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Father, we come before your throne, the author and the finisher of our faith. Father, you who saved us, you who have reconciled us back to the heavenlies, Father, you who has overwhelmed our souls, have invaded our lives and made us children of the King of kings and Lord of lords. And Father, this text lays before us awesome in its splendor and yet, Father, overwhelming in any man's ability to even think about trying it. Father, through the power of your Spirit, we who are called by your names, can love in the same degree that Christ loved us. Help us, Lord. Help us to understand this. And Father, help us to move it from an intellectual understanding to a life application. To you and you alone, for only you can do this. In Christ's name, amen. Verse 4, love is patient. Love is kind and is not jealous. Love does not brag, is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. This is powerful stuff right here. I don't have any other way to tell you. Um, And yet it falls through a text that is basically spiritual gifts. Uh, Spiritual gifts begin in chapter 12, verse 1, and concludes at the end of chapter 14 because he starts it out and he says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. I don't want you to be ignorant about this. You need to know what these are. But then right in the middle of this thing, he says, You know what? If you speak, if you exercise your gifts without love, you're noisy. He says, if you literally prophesy and you know all mysteries and all knowledge, hey, have all faith as to remove mountains, do not have love, you are zero zip nada. If I give all of my possessions to the poor and I surrender my body to martyrdom, do not have love, it means nothing, has no profit, no benefit to you whatsoever. So I'm kind of thinking if you're sitting there looking at that, we should probably pay attention to what love is. Now, we've been in this book for now four years. And in these four years, we've looked that this is not what you would call one of the most loving places congregations on the planet. They were suing each other. Uh, you had personality cults. I am of Paul. I am of Cephas. I am of Apollos. And instead of loving, what were they doing? He says, you're boastful. You're arrogant. You're envying one another. You're wanting these gifts. You remember when we looked at the conclusion here of chapter 12, he says, but earnestly desire the greater gifts. Now listen, if these people are always self-seeking, how does, how does that work out? Well, you have to ask yourself the question in the text. The Greek language can be imperative or it can be indicative. Okay, imperative means it's a command. Okay, orphans indicative. He can say, but I would prefer you do it this way. Which is the best way? 
Well, he starts right out in chapter 13, the first three verses, and say, you know what? If you do anything and you do not do it in the spirit of holiness of love, it is useless. It is useless. Remember, Galatians 5.22, fruit of the Spirit, single fruit. What is it? Love. Love. And yet you take that beam of light and you shine it into a prism and it's got 15 facets on it and it comes out on all of them. 15 dimensions of what love is. Other thing that you and I have to understand is, is that you and I... I believe that most Christians today have a crooked uh, definition of love. I believe that we kind of, it's a feeling, it's an emotion, it's this, it's that, it's the other. We've already dealt with this. Um, It's not. This text, verses 4 through 7, there are no adjectives in it. They're all verbs. Okay, And if you're really honest with Scripture, you will find that the Scripture never ever defines Love. It describes it. It describes it. How it looks. How does it look? It doesn't give us a definition. It says this is how it looks. Jesus was on the cross. That's how it looks. God so loved the world that he did what? I just felt really good about him. No. He did something. There was an action to it. And I think there's a lot of times we get into the mentality that if I have this feeling or if I just kind of emotional about something, then that's love. Okay? Well, here's what happens. Last week we looked at it and we said love is patient, uh, long-suffering, makotomia. Literally, when we think about God's love in a a descriptive way, do I understand that? It is long-suffering. Why? If you think about love and God is... Love. First thing you have to see, he was sacrificial. He became incarnate. Why? To pay a penalty that you couldn't. And he went and he did it. All right? But then you look at it in the Garden of Gethsemane. You say, well, what was he doing in the garden? He says, "I not my will, but yours be done, God the Father. So when I think about love, when I think about the description of love, and I think that God is love, the first thing I have to understand is that it's a sacrifice for me. The second thing that I'm going to battle is it's going to be against my will. It is. Every time. Put God's will up, yours up. How does it look? If I was God, I wouldn't do it this way. Sorry. That's why I'm not God. I'd have just made it all charcoal briquette and made another one. Well, I would have. And I'm, you guys also, well, that's you would have too. Every one of you. I ain't messing with them people. Gee, many crickets. But that's what we deal with. And we have to ask ourselves these things. Because, see, here's the thing that I see that is hurting the church in America today. When Jesus was explaining in the upper room that he was going to be crucified for, his, for their sins, our sins, okay, they were having a conversation at the Last Supper, weren't they, the disciples? You know what their conversation was? Who was going to be on the right hand and the left hand in this kingdom? And you know what Jesus did? He got up from the table, put a towel around his waist, and he began washing their feet. Okay? And it isn't that, wow, you need to start having a foot washing. No, he says, you need to be a servant. And you do it by saying, 
I love you so much, I will do the most lowly thing to show you that. Why? That describes love. And it is long-suffering. It is long-suffering. It doesn't say wash their feet if they appreciate it. They were arguing over who's going to be... I got to have the biggest house in heaven. Watch. And he still did it. And you know what? This text right here that you and I are looking at is the most complete description of love ever penned. Okay? There was a lot of poetry about love. They've got love songs. We've had love movies. We've had, you name it, we've had operas about love and all the rest of it. Nothing can compare to these verses right here. Why? Because this is God's personal description of love. Okay? Listen, love is so important that he sticks this in the middle of this church because this church was struggling. It is the most important, it is the single most important part of Christian behavior. Because where it is absent, that behavior stops becoming Christian. It's no longer Christian. Okay? And I shared with you guys in the last few weeks, I'm going to keep reminding you, listen, if you're here to evaluate my sermon, whether I had good illustrations or I followed a good outline or something like that, then you have completely missed this text. You have completely, I I don't care what you think about my preaching. All right. My concern, and I've been praying for this for months, is that you with honesty and integrity will put your life up against these principles. I don't want you to put my life up to it. I don't want you to take your spouse's life and put it up to it or your kid's life or your parent's life. You need to say, here's the word of God. How do I look? Because that's what he's doing with the church in Corinth. This church was struggling. They were not, they didn't even have a clue what long suffering. Okay. Macrotomia, the ability when wronged and wronged again 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 and to have the power to retaliate and yet never even think of it. It's macrotomia. Now listen, you want to go try that? Try it. Try it. Have you ever watched people in traffic? I mean, there are people on the highway, man, who wrong you. And they wrong you again. And they wrong you again. I ride a motorcycle. If you don't believe me, ride a motorcycle. They could care less if you're out there. They do not pay attention to you. Why? But you know what I've learned? Just shoot a rabbit here. Okay, I think that every human being in the United States should have to spend their first four years riding a motorcycle. And I guarantee you when they get in a car, they'll pay attention. Because it's scary out there. Anyway, but they test your love. They do. You get right up beside them, you kick a dent in the door and say, I am in this lane and I love you. Long-suffering. All right, let me ask you a question. If you're truly saved today, is God long-suffering with you? Have you ever done anything that he should have retaliated against? And do I need to express, does he have the ability to retaliate? Okay, just just curious. All right, just making sure. And when you think about long-suffering, you think about God. You think about Jesus hanging on a cross. He says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That's long-suffering. 
That's long suffering. Well, Terry, that's great, but you know, that's God and God incarnate. Okay, you're trying to get me to do God and God incarnate stuff. I can't. All right. Then you have to wrestle with Acts chapter 7, verse 60. Stephen. As the stones are bouncing off of his body, crushing the life out of him, he looks to heaven and says what? Do not hold this sin to their charge. Okay? All right. So when we hear that there's no vengeance, there's no retaliation, and I even hear those words of Stephen, I don't even hear a bitterness. I look at Paul when he starts cataloging all the things he's done, suffering for the gospel, where I was in trouble in the country and I was in trouble in the cities. My countrymen were after me. They beat me with rods. And you know what? He says, I'd give up my salvation. Would Israel be saved? I don't know if I've met anybody I'd give up my salvation for. I mean, I love you guys, but Sorry. All right. Jesus said, remember Peter, I'll forgive him seven times. Jesus says, no, 70 times seven. That's long suffering. That's love. So when you think about love, first thing you want to think about is that it is long suffering. Even when I have the ability to retaliate, I don't even cross my mind. Anybody ever been wronged? Have you ever been wronged by a Christian? Okay, a time or two today. (laughs) But I want to show you this next one because this is like the flip side of this. Okay, if love is long suffering, does not retaliate, carry bitterness, then the flip side of this is that I look at it kind of this way. Long suffering endures the injuries from others. And kindness pays them back only with good deeds. Sign me up for that one. Huh. I'm in. Okay. The root word here for kindness is useful. It's useful. Okay. Long suffering says, I'll take anything from my enemies. Kindness says, And I'll give anything to my enemies to meet their needs. Okay? I mean, it's one thing to take it, right? But can you give it back even when you're being injured? I will do whatever to be useful to this person. I will do anything that will be of use even to my enemy. It's an interesting concept, isn't it? Now then, you understand why in Galatians 5, Paul says you need to be filled with the Spirit? Why? Because you ain't going to do this. You're not. I remember early in my ministry learning this and saying, okay, I'm going to go do this. And he put some of the most miserable people in my life that I've ever run into. And all I can think is, I've got to love them. I've got to love them. Okay, I'm going to love them. I'm going to love them. I'm going to kill them first and let God love them. Let me ask you a question. The love of God has been poured in my heart, Romans chapter 5 says. Okay, so it's, like, it's not like it's not there. It's already there. But let me ask you a question. Will you live a life to the benefit of others? Never put yourself 
in a position of receiving. I always want to put everybody else in front of me. That's what's being said here. Love is conscience of using itself on others. That's what Linsky said. I like that. That's a good statement. Love is conscience of using itself on others. I'm just going to beat you with love. Okay? I kind of look at it, those guys use bigger words. Love is useful to another person. It's an action. It's not a feeling. It isn't icky sentimental. It takes care of stuff. It's not abstract. It's not emotion. It's not feeling. It's not an adjective. It's deeds. It's deeds of kindness. Deeds that are useful. It's deeds of generosity. It's the act uh, that, that you take to do for someone else that they need done. This needs to be done, and I just do it. I don't have to have fanfare about it. I don't have to have a committee meet on it. I see this need, and I just go do it. Kindness. is not talking about um, a sweet attitude. You ever run into kind people? How do you know that's a kind person? Because they're just so sweet. That's not the term. That's not the term. Love gives itself a way to help another person. Even an enemy. Even a person who has hurt you. A person who has assaulted you. Jesus says, love your enemies. Doesn't he? He doesn't say, feel good about your enemies. He says, love them. Be active. Do good things for your enemies. Try that. It adds for an interesting afternoon. Do good for your enemies. See, and I want to kind of give you the package on this because we need to understand what the Apostle Paul is saying. Listen, you know who he's talking to. You who have been with us through this book, we're not talking about a really nice bunch of people who are warm and affectionate. They were suing each other. That just doesn't seem affectionate. Um, they didn't have this wonderful friendship. Um, these people were at each other's throats. Uh, there was bickering. Uh, you had wealthy people who would come to church and see, they didn't have to work during the day. They had their wealth and they would bring in their really good stuff, the good foods and stuff like that. And they would eat them all up before the poor people got there. They had taken the Lord's table and it became a time to get drunk and eat a lot. We're not talking about, well, these are just some great people. Everybody wanted to stand up and show off. They all wanted to speak at the same time. All of them want to have some kind of ecstatic babble going on all the time. Why? Because that makes me look what? Spiritual. You had a group of people that I call them the have and the have nots. I see this in churches today. You know, he has a speaking gift. I only have a serving gift. What? You have a supernatural ability from God and you're complaining about it? 
But I see this on a... Well, but this is not like this person or this person. You know, I watched this when uh, we did precept ministries here, uh, a methodology, inductive study of Bible. And everybody got into it. And then, don't get me wrong, that's... I love it. We had all these people coming to our church on Sunday morning. They said, well, you're not preaching inductively. What? I... Sorry. I thought it was for study. Okay, there's a difference between a teaching event and a preaching event. They're separate. They're not the same. Do both teach? Absolutely. All right? But see, well, you're not doing it like K. Arthur. Or you're not doing this like... And I just sit there and go, what are you talking about? And what happens is, well, unless you are doing it this manner, then it isn't really... Really? Really? You know what? I've heard brilliant people speak without the power of the Holy Spirit. What they said was true, and it was absolutely useless. Then I've seen people who get overwhelmed by the person of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit drives it through. In 1998, there was a thing out in California called the International Conference on the Bible. Okay, uh, It basically was commemorating uh, John MacArthur had just released uh, the MacArthur Study Bible, and uh, the big guns were out. I mean... We had the preaching preachers out there. Uh, Adrian Rogers was there. David Jeremiah was there. Stephen Olford was there. MacArthur was there. Joe Stoll, president of Moody, was there. And I mean, they're all preaching their brains out. Okay? And I mean, everybody got two shots. You get two pulpit times and you get an hour and a half per pulpit time. Go! And I was like, well, this is, you know, you just thought the roof was going to open and we're out of here. You know what's amazing? That's 1998. I can tell you what each of them men preached in the text they preached on from 1998. How's it come? Because it was men being led by the power of the Holy Spirit, piercing the souls of men who were indwelt by the Holy Spirit. That's the difference. That's the difference. Okay? We are in an age when men will be lovers of self. Uh, Spurgeon says that's the sewer pipe that the rest comes out of. And it is. No, 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 no. I'm not talking about lost people. I'm talking about the body of Christ. The body of Christ is a lover of self. Some churches are, are worse than nurseries. They are. Everybody in there whining. About what? About me, myself, and I, the false trinity. Okay, but why does that happen? It's easy. Church in Ephesus had sound doctrine. Church in Ephesus held teachers to an account that you had better be walking what you're talking. The church in Ephesus was reaching the community, was growing. The church in Ephesus had phenomenal teachers, phenomenal preaching. And Jesus says, but I have this against you. What was it? You've lost your first love. And he says, unless you hear what I'm saying, what will happen? I will remove the lampstand. Okay, guess what? They didn't listen. You can go see the ruins now in Ephesus. There's no church in Ephesus. There's no church in Corinth. What happened? The behavior wasn't that of Christ. So God removes it. This city... If they used to use the word Corinthianize 
as a term of promiscuity. Okay, do you know why? That was the culture. All right, so you have this hard environment that this church lives in um, that brings negative influence to bear on what? Love. It comes down. The church, instead of the church impacting its environment, its society, the society was impacting the church. What do you see today? And, and I've shared this with the, the elders. I, I've shared it with you multiple times. Ten years ago, if you asked a person coming out of a church building if they worshipped, okay, and they said yes, you asked them, well, how do you know you worship? What would they say? It was the preaching of the word. Ask him today what he, and what would the answer be? Good music. Is that worship? No. See what we've done? Why? Because see, if I want to be entertained, then where is my love's focus? Okay, and have you ever thought, I mean, the church today basically want to get enough people in the seats so that I can hire ministers to do what? Minister to me. Is that love? Is that love? No, it's self. It's self. This is hard. This is a hard text. You know, I got people saying, man, that just sounds Yeah, I know. You should have been with me. I've been studying this thing for about two and a half months. And I ain't having any fun with it, so I'm sharing. This is good stuff. You think about it. If, what happens in your family if all of a sudden your family says, I'm going to look at every situation in my family and decide that because of my love, I will make sure that I will do something useful for you in this circumstances, even if you hurt me. Would the family look different? Take it to the body of Christ then. If you've got a whole bunch of people who are in the family who are more concerned about being long-suffering even though I can retaliate, but not only will I not retaliate, I need to figure out how to be useful to you. Meet a need that you're struggling with here. Does the church look different? Yeah, I think so. And yet we have an environment just like the Corinthians had uh, that everything is wanting to hammer us with negative. It's all about me. I didn't get treated well. Why do people get mad if you get cut off on the highway? Why? You know what drives me crazy? That lane where you get on, you're supposed to be accelerating. I learned that a long time ago. You're getting on here 25, 26, 27. I wonder why everybody's doing 70, 28, 29. And I don't understand why. What'd you just do? I, but you see what I'm trying to get at? Why do we get angry about that? And I, I just... It's incredible if you think about it. People who hate their job mad because they're taking longer to get to their job that they hate. Okay? That's the society that you and I exist in. It is. It is.
is absolutely that society, isn't it? It's everywhere. You know, you guys from Minnesota, we've got a new interstate that well, I don't know what they're doing with it. And when they get done with it, it'll be obsolete. Okay, so that's why I stay on dirt roads. Why do people get short? I mean, we got this thing coming, road rage. What is that? I know what road rash is. But road, well, I got so mad that I was willing to jeopardize human lives. That's your society, people. That is the society you're in. I just heard today or yesterday that they found that lady's body who was nine months pregnant and, um, you know, they think that the boyfriend or whatever has killed her. Uh, you turn that on and you sit and watch that stuff. How positive is that? The atmosphere in which true character of love really shines is that atmosphere. That's why I struggle with the church. That's why I struggle with the church planning. If we do this and this and this, this is going to happen. Let me tell you something. If you love as Christ loves you, the church will reach the lost because they will see something that will shine brighter than they've ever seen. You don't even have to preach the gospel. They just want what you got. What happened to the church in Corinth? It died. Why? Didn't heed it. Four letters were actually written to the church of Corinth. We have two. Okay. Um, this letter here, there's no doctrinal issues. Their doctrine is solid. Who founded the church? Paul. I mean, can you really get any more sound doctrinally? So they don't have no issues with doctrine. What's the issue? They don't love. They don't love. In 2 Corinthians, you'll read there where they literally come to a a worship service that Paul's at and a people stand up and accuse him of preaching the gospel of grace for sexual favors. Paul. Okay? That's why he's doing it. You know what hurt Paul the most? Nobody in that church stood up to defend him. Loving bunch of people. And yet, if you take that very poisonous atmosphere and you see the love of God working, then what happens? That love will shine brighter than you've ever seen. Okay, so when you think about these things, I'm just going to bring this because you've got to hear this. Is there goodness of God? Think about this. In Romans chapter 2, verse 4, it says that there was a goodness of God towards us. Do you understand what that means? In chapter 2 of Romans... He's dealing with the doctor of sin and rejecting his grace. That's amazing stuff when you think about it. He's saying that even when you reject what I am offering you, I am still useful to you. I still do good to you. How many of you here have ever thought that God was a meanie? That he wouldn't do this, he'd just dangle this thing in front of you, and, but you can't do that? You ever thought about that? Anybody? Ever, I'm the only one who's ever had that thought. I wish I was as spiritual as you people. God has again and again and again and again in our lives done things to benefit us, and He has done them even to benefit His enemies. In chapter, in Titus chapter three, verse four, He says, "After the kindness and love of God." What does that mean? After all that He's doing, 
He still does more. He still does more. I remember a guy uh, right after chapter or right after nine eleven. Guy wrote a little bitty book, little bitty bugger. It's a really cute book, um, and it says, "Can God bless America?" And the the dealing was dealing with God's holy, just character. Can God put blessings on America, and, and still keep His good name? After the kindness and love. See, God is kind and He does things of kindness. Okay, when you see the word goodness, you'll see the word gracious. It's all the same word. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 3, it says, If you have tasted the Lord's graciousness. Okay, same one. You know what that is? Kindness. Have you tasted the good things, the useful things that God has done in your life? Anybody here not? Here's one that is really amazing to me, and you've all heard the verse before, but I want you to hear the words again. Okay, in Matthew chapter 11, verse 30, okay, Jesus says, Take my yoke and learn of me. Okay, for my yoke, in, in the New American Standard translation, is easy. You know what that word is? Kind. Same word. It is. Useful. Jesus is basically just says, join up with me and I'll express to you kindness. If, if you take the terminology of the age that Jesus is teaching on, the yoke, what they would do when they were training an oxen, they would put the old oxen on the inside corner and the young oxen would be out here and he would have to work and learn how the old hand was working at it. And that's why you would see, you could always tell a young oxen from an old oxen because they'd have all these calluses around their neck where they'd be trying to pull back and back and pull and yank and, and tug and all the rest of it. And you got this great big one who's been doing this for years and years and years and he just keeps plugging along, dragging his old keister along. Okay, I see saints that's got calluses around their necks. Why? They're, you think that God is not going to be kind to you? Well, he's putting a yoke around my neck. You know where you were before? You were yoked with Satan. So what I need to do is learn of him. Why? Join with me and I'll express to you my kindness. That's what Jesus is saying in Matthew 11. This is a grace that can heal the hurts of the world. This is a kindness that can heal the hurts of a family. I think about parents and spouses and kids. Are we kind to each other? Are we useful to each other? What can I do? First thought, what can I do to be useful, helpful, meaningful to my partner, to my kids, my kids to me? Just after they've gotten to you. Right? Isn't it funny how the spouses, what do we call it? Push your buttons. Disconnect the buttons. I don't understand that. Parents, are you kind to your children? Do you do your children sense a tenderness? Do your children know uh, you go out of their way for them? Listen, I'm not talking about um, buying them off. Okay, I'm talking about, am I kind to them, useful to them? 
Do, do we go to the second mile? Are we willing to make sacrifices to help them, help our spouses? How about the saints that God has placed in our lives? Love is kind. It's kind, it's useful, it heals wounds. It waits patiently, it endures, it never retaliates. I was reading a story about two men on a trail. They were coming down a trail, a high, steep, mountainous trail. Okay? And there's a bend that comes around it. There's a blind corner comes around it. And this trail is big enough just for one person to walk on. And the two men come around and they meet at the corner of this trail. How are they going to get past? They can't go on up to the outside of you or fall off to your death. How do you get off of it? The one by love laid down and let the other one walk across him. See, um, love doesn't mind getting walked on if it's going to benefit someone else. That's hard. But if I am spirit-filled, then you do it and you never even know you're doing it. Paul is saying, if you would only minister... In a non-retaliating, self-sacrificing manner, not avenging, only returning kindness, then your spiritual gift means something. Your spiritual gift means something. So I'm going to ask you a simple question. We'll conclude. How are you doing with that? How are you doing with that? Okay, and I'll go back to what Dr. Olford taught me years and years and years ago. This is not taught. This is caught. And you know what? Every single one of you are going to come to a trail and you're going to meet somebody and you're going to have to ask this simple question. Will I lay down and let them walk on me? Or will I demand them lay down and I walk on them? That's the question. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for drawing us together and I thank you for the gift of love and how it overwhelms us. Lord, please, we who are called by your name uh, so often try to do so much in our own strengths and our own abilities. And, Father, it's such a torturous thing. Father, I think about your kindness. I think about being yoked to you, to learn of you, to know that you will just entreat me with your kindness. Father, I don't understand that. I really don't understand that. And so, Father, I beg you now to draw us and we understand that we are yoked with you. We understand learning your ways. Father, that we will walk, not tugging against you, not pulling against you, not thinking that we know better than you know. But Father, we will walk in a way that we will be completely immersed in your loving kindness. Your long-suffering with us, Lord, and your kindness with us, Lord, still overwhelms me with every day that I get. Father, may that be the same thing that overwhelms each and every soul that is here this day. And Father, they will hear the sweet, sweet words of Jesus Christ, the small, still voice of the Spirit. They may rest in the full assurance of you and you alone. To Christ and Christ alone. Amen.